sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I do like mean comedy. I think because I'm Canadian, maybe. I like arrogance. I like these weird traits in people. I don't know. I think that's why I liked Rich when I met him. I remember him telling you on one of our first dates what an amazing comedian that he was. And I remember thinking, is he joking? I didn't know for sure. But you also do this podcast with your husband, Rich Voss, My Wife Hates Me, which is basically you hating Hating Rich. Rich. (laughs) And you've been doing it for six years, so clearly. (laughs) Yes. Bobby Kelly started a podcast. He kept telling Rich. And, And Rich is taken by salespeople. Like, if you walked into a showroom, he walks out with a product. You know, he, he loves salespeople. He loves being sold. So when Bobby Kelly was calling him, telling him we had to do a podcast, and he was just insane about it. This is about salespeople, too. So we were in Florida, and we went into, um, this is years ago. This might have been before we got married. And I think his name is Waylon, the guy who does all those whale pictures. Oh, I don't know. He does these murals. So we went into his showroom, I thought, to mock it, you know, because that's what I love to do in my spare time, is mock the hard work of others. I mean, I don't know, it's just funny to me. If you knew anything about art, you wouldn't be going in there. But let me just be clear, he's very famous, he's rich. You know, he does it very well. So we go in, and then we're at some point we're in the back room. It was making me laugh for most of the day that we were in there. And then when I looked at him on the sofa, I remember thinking... I don't think he's joking. <laughs> I think this whole time I went in thinking we were making fun of it and he went in thinking we're going to go get it. A whale painting. He was about to give his credit card. I had to take him outside and be like, we're not doing that. So then that's like what our whole marriage has been. Bonnie McFarlane, you're one of the funniest people I know. Oh, thank you. And by the way, that's different than just saying you're a great comedian, although you are, you're like really funny. Oh, so thank you. Part of it is, I just read your memoir and now I want to find the it's title. It's memoir. Again. Right. In fact, you say you're better than me, colon, a memoir, which somehow that underlines <laughs> yes. like the concept that everyone who reads this is better than you. So it was really funny. And then I started not only watching your stand-up, there's like, it's all over YouTube, you everywhere, and we'll, we'll get into some of your credits, but I started watching the interviews you were doing, like um, like you and your husband Rich Voss did uh, Unmasked and Artie oh, Lang right. Show a bunch yeah. of times, and um, uh, you did Sam Roberts, and like like the Unmasked one, I was just laughing out loud the whole interview. Like it's oh, more great. than just stand up where you're kind of crafting these jokes. You were just like sharp and funny. So I want to kind of explore. The differences. Not today. <laughs> the, <laughs> I no, won't be today. No, You'll have to go back and look at my other no, interviews. To, to, to be fair, it, it, you had you you knew uh, the unmasked guy. I forget his name. Fez. Or uh, no, <laughs> Fez is the other one. Um, oh, okay. Ron Bennington, who is, and he's just a really really funny guy, and he's good at interviewing because he he knows when you're being funny. 
You know what I mean? He knows when to take you seriously. He knows when to like sort of add a tag to your little joke. He's just he's he makes you seem better than and you it, are. Oh, no, I, I don't think that's true that because I've seen you on other interviews, but also you had uh, you've known you've known him for a long time. So there was right. that added. You right. guys, were, it was more like a feeling of you guys were just sort of hanging out, right? And you just kept insulting Rich, <laughs> your <laughs> well, husband. You know that's the that's the dynamic that we find works best. I have done interviews where I've been complimentary to Rich, and it's um it just falls apart really quickly. <laughs> the the interviewer doesn't like it. Like it was like, what's happening right now? I sometimes do it at the cellar table when all the other their comedians are around because it drives them nuts. They can't handle it if I'm being like nice to Rich or giving him compliments. They get really angry, you know. Like, well, what's what? Are, this is not what we want from the two of you. Well, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get to that actually because okay. that this drives them nuts could be the key to to everything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to get through some of your credits, like you, you, your book, "You're Better Than Me," a memoir is great. You, um, you had your own. Uh, uh, special on HBO at one point. It was part of their one night, uh, yeah. one night stand series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did the documentary "Women Aren't Funny." You've been on, involved with various pilots. You've performed stand up everywhere uh, and on every show. What, Letterman, Colbert. What are some of the shows you've been? You've been. On? I did Letterman three times. I did Colbert once, and then that's pretty much it, really. <laughs> and you've done Montreal just for laughs a bunch, yes. bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, so and you and your regular. I don't know, you're regular everywhere in New York. Yeah. And you do tour a lot, or you used to? I but... used to, but I don't anymore because of the kid. But um, Kids are a drag, right? They really freak you down. No, it, she comes with me, which, like, if I do, I go, I, there's a couple places that I'll go where I'll take her. If it's just, you know, as soon as I pull her out of school for the Thursday night, and then, uh, so after, we'll leave after school on a Thursday, let's say, and then I'll work Thursday night, Friday, she's out of school, Saturday, Sunday, and then come home. And I I don't know how I used to do it without her because she makes me live a life, you know? Like you have to get up at a certain time. You have to go to the hotel. There's a lot of time spent in the hotel pool. And then, you know, you got to go out and see the the city that you're in and find playgrounds. And It's hard work though. It's exhausting, but it's like I used to just lay in bed and watch whatever was on MTV for just, you know, hours at a time. You don't think that's more fun than like keeping her alive from drowning in the pool? <laughs> I feel like every time I go on. It or- was a lot more depressing before I say that. Like it was All easier, right. but it was a lot more depressing. Like you just get so tired of it, you know. I feel like uh, how old? How old is she? She's ten now. Okay, so ten ten's a good age. So yeah, uh, but she's been doing age. it with me since she was like three. Three is hard because then your only job is to keep them alive when you travel with them. Like they're just running around well, trying she, to die. Well, I should say I went on the road with her when she was a baby. That was the easiest because it's just like having a potato that you have to change the diaper once in a while. It's I mean, she was a really good baby, easy. You just you didn't have to get another, you know, seed on the flight. You just hold her. Right. Um but then when she around 2 is when it really started to get hard when she was like walking and sort of talking like where it wasn't just a lot of work uh, physically, but it was also became emotionally difficult also. That's that's when the, the... And then I had to buy another plane ticket for her. So then that's when I stopped traveling with her. That's when I made Women Aren't Funny, the documentary, because I was like, I can't. I can't go on the road anymore. Right, so, so you might as well make a great documentary instead. So, well, that started out as just a little short thing that I was going to do. And then so, it became... You know, because I have Rich Voss in my life who was like having a real life producer on your ass all the time. 
and he wouldn't let it go. I probably would have just stopped doing it at some point. It seemed too hard at some point. I was like, I can't. I but can't. some of the footage in that of you and Rich, well, we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> okay. in, a, in a second. I want to I wanna get to, to the um, I wanted to drive them nuts comment because I feel like your comedy sort of started out of that. You, you sort of like went screaming out of the gate in your first year of doing comedy over 20 years ago yep. in rural Canada and uh, you won America's best Canadian new yes. comic in the first year. And then it feels like, so, so hey, let's, let's start with that. What attracted you to the whole well, Canadian thing? Well, I was, in Van- I was living in Vancouver. I was trying to be a copywriter at the time. And um, I got a job as a hostess at a comedy club. And it was really the first time, I mean, I'd seen comedy before that, but um, it was the first time I spent a lot of time thinking about comedy or, you know, and I just, I, it was amazing to me. I loved it. I loved watching the comedians do their acts over and over again. I don't know, like seeing no. the little differences and stuff, like watching somebody do, like some comedians would do the same act. Um, and because I was a hostess, once I was done seating people, I just stood at the doorway and watched every show. So, um, you know, you'd see some comedians just do the exact same thing every single show, every single night, and then others would change it up and do different things and how the crowd was different every night and um, I don't know. I just started in my head writing jokes all the time in my head. And then at some point, maybe a year later, I started doing them. I tried to sell them to comedians, but they were like, mm, no. no. They didn't want to buy your jokes? Well, they, nobody had any money. It was Canadian show business. Rural Canadian, Canada. It's <laughs> yes. like extra three Canadian dollars. <laughs> yes. Not, not like, available. So, no, but I did start, once I started doing setup, I started going on the road right away as a middle act. Like, I don't know how I was doing 25 to 30 minutes. I can't imagine what I was doing up there for that whole time. Like even now it's hard to do 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. So where were you getting your material from then? I mean, you were writing it obviously, but were you just, how were you doing? I don't remember. I mean, it was really hit or miss. I remember seeing going on tour with a comedian who was really funny and he killed every night. And I just remember thinking like, what what a wonderful feeling that must be to know when you hit the stage, that you're gonna win these people over. Like well, I was like, that, this could go really wrong. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting thing. Uh, win them over. How much? What's what's the relationship between, uh, particularly for a short set, like anything less than a half hour? Mm-hmm. What's the relationship between um, likability and funny? Well, I I think likability trumps everything. That's it, the number one thing that you know. You don't have to be a nice person to be likable either. I mean, you can just they can just like you. It's just sort of that innate thing, I think. And um, you know, they always say timing is everything, and I think it's not. It's likability is everything. It it, it feels that way to me because I have been trying to do. I kind of got that bug as well, but I'm much older, so it's older to get that bug. And I uh, I had jokes that I knew were funny in some cases and not in others. And then I would listen to the video. Why didn't it work? Why did it work in sometimes and not others? And the times when it didn't work is when I had nobody in the audience rooting for me. Like I had no friends right. in the audience. And so I didn't build up the likability with the audience enough for them to like jokes that were maybe a little more crude. Well, I I, I think that's, that, that is a true thing too. You stand, if they don't know, like when you become a known comedian, it's much easier because then they sort of have some background right. on you. They go in there liking you. Right. Or they even just, just like in today's climate too, they, if you know, they don't know if you're 
a good person or a bad person. Like they or don't creepy. Yeah, they don't get irony really. It's like enough comedians now have been assholes that that's a real thing. You could just go up and be a total fucking jerk. Are you allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this uh, is like your podcast. Okay, you can say whatever <laughs> you want. Um, so no, that you could, you know. So the audience is like on high alert for you saying something that they they deem inappropriate or wrong or old fashioned or you know they don't want you to be racist or sexist or anything like that. So they're on high alert, and so they don't get if you're being ironic. If they don't know who you are, you know, if you go on stage and the first thing you say is some, you know, really funny sexist but ironic take on it they just won't like you because they don't know you enough to know that oh she's on the right side of things yeah, yeah. she's you know she's making a joke about it so okay i want to i want to get this there's a bunch of things now i want to get back to but uh when you said um you wanted to drive them nuts was that would you feel like that was almost the source in the beginning of being funny like you have a bunch of siblings were you yes. just always driving them crazy yeah, I mean, I don't think I knew that about myself that that was a thing. But I do, I, I, I have a healthy disdain. <laughs> like the, when I'm on stage with the audience, sometimes even if they're laughing, liking me, I get irritated by them. I, I was watching your um, <laughs> your 2010 just for laughs, yeah. and was like I getting angry at them? You weren't getting angry at them, but I felt like you were super funny and they were laughing. But I felt like you just didn't care at all. You were just huh. like. Just at your own pace, just hanging out there on the. Oh stage. no, I'm sure I was in my head, just being like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's just it's never enough from them. I don't know what it is, but I like I'll be having a great set, and they'll they won't laugh at something that I think is funny, and it'll just turn me. I'm so immature about it. Do you ever tell them you should laugh at this? I like I've seen mean. Some I've that. been like embarrassingly mean, like. Oh, I, I mean, I, and the moment it feels good, it's like you lash out at people and you're like, you guys are the fucking worst. Do you know how dumb you are? You know, I've said shit like that to audiences after so, they've been liking me. I've gotten just angry at, the at them. End, just, just somewhere in there, I will, especially in a long set, there's I, no point will, will I, the audience will either turn on me or I'll turn on them. We'll, we could start off in a love fest. We might even end up again in a love fest, but there's somewhere in my act where but I, I think it's healthy why. though. Like I think not pandering to them is a healthy thing. Like it, like having. But they ability- want to be pandered to so much it drives me crazy. Like if you make a joke at their expense, they get so mad, and you're like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like what's a, what's an example? Like I used to have a joke where I would say, um, "You guys, uh, <laughs> something about." You know, the audience, see, oh, you guys seem so nice. And by that, I mean unattractive. And they would get really upset oh, yeah, I've by seen you that. Do that. And it's like, well, it's dark. I can't see. Like, really, I'm going to make like a blanket statement about everyone in this audience. But you can feel them just. <laughs> and I guess it's like you come out and you say something mean to them. Well, the other thing I love to but do. But it's also a play on the whole yes. uh, relationship thing where if someone says, oh, I like him, he's nice, yeah. I'm referring to now what people say to me all the time. <laughs> it means they're totally unattracted. <laughs> right. It's like, Right, and everyone comes up. Everyone used to always go on stage. I don't know if it's still a thing, and be like, "This is a good-looking audience," you know, and get them on their side. And I was always like, "Ugh, I won't do that." But I, the other thing I like doing is being faux mad at the MC for my for for whatever. Like sometimes it'll be some glowing intro that they'll give me, and I'll be like, "You couldn't put True TV in there," like I asked, you know, and I'll get mad and scream. And they believe, but the it gets. Then I get really mad because the audience believes it. They just sit there and stare at me like I'm a crazy person. It's like, 
I don't know why I just get mad because I'm like, I'm obviously a professional comedian. I'm working the weekend at some fucking club, you know. <laughs> it drives me nuts that they won't laugh. And what do you do to that I'm silence? so immature. Then I'll lash out at them. I'll be like, oh, shut up. I don't know. And then I can turn them around a lot of times. And a lot of times I have these shows where I can feel that they don't like me, but occasionally I'll get applause breaks because they like the jokes. Like I, you know. Sometimes they'll be like, okay, that is a good joke. And they'll reluctantly sort of give me a... Why do you think they don't like you as opposed to maybe they're just low energy at that point? It's possible that I'm reading into it. But I sometimes I think I feel like they don't like me because I'm not nice enough for them. Are you supposed to be nice? At, I mean, you, you explore issues of, of gender and sexism and comedy quite a bit. Do you think you're supposed to be nice to many audiences because they think, oh, she's a woman, she's going to be nice? I don't know if it, honestly, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or if it's just a certain particular thing that they see up there. I mean, you you really are supposed to match for them. They want you to match your comedy with your look. And, you know, if you're a big schlubby guy, they don't want you walking around talking about how you're getting laid all the time. They want you to be like, oh, I can get laid, <laughs> you know. They get confused very easily by, you know, when you're not, um, what's the term? The, Consistent, yeah, you know, like a cliche or something. They, they really they hang on to those things. It's easier for them because, and you, it makes sense. It's like they've never seen this person before, so they're using all their clues. Okay, what's this guy going to be like? You know, if if I w- I used to have a joke about <laughs> that I would that I I never watched uh, the WNBA. Um, I go, I don't know. I'm just I don't even like good basketball. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I go, they slow it down with less passing and scoring. I'm still not into it. And the audience never understood it because the baggage that I bring as a woman on stage is that I'm a feminist, you know, that I'm going to be pro-woman all the way. So then when I tell that joke, they're totally confused. Well, it's interesting too they because... They can't take a left turn. I think that joke requires, like, let's say a second for them to figure out as opposed to, like, this smashing over-the-head punchline. And so Oh, it's, th- it's not funny. No, no it's... <laughs> It, it's funny, but, but I, I like but, that you're telling your But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder just how. Just not a good joke. <laughs> I, no, I wonder if you, um, how do you handle the fact that some jokes require like that extra quarter second pause so they could think about it and connect well, the dots? Well, that is the other thing that makes, like, I, you know, I probably, this is why I loved writing the book because I didn't have to worry you about it. You had no audience. I had no audience. <laughs> I just wrote whatever I wanted. And I, myself, as a critic, I'm. I'm very critical of myself. So that was enough. That was, you know, I didn't need also like 300 people. Right. So so that that brings to the question like why do comedy? Because every night I don't know, I think you're going to be you're you're risking cutting your head off every single night. That that audience is brutal and they don't realize the effect it has on you. Right. And at this point in my career, it shouldn't have any effect. I shouldn't care at all. Like I feel like such an amateur sometimes when I still care. Like Tonight I'll go do a show at some Brooklyn, uh, you know, thing, hipster thing, and I know I'll get mad. I, I'll, uh, I know I will. <laughs> I already know I'll just be like, ugh, you people gross me out. Look at yourselves. You're judging me. <laughs> yeah. But by knowing that in advance, though, is that a way for you to kind of relieve the stress in advance? So rather than you being worried. Well, I do now. give myself a pep talk. I'm like, be nice. You know, sometimes I try to do, you know, um, I've never been good at, you know, are in love with the universe and the universe loves you back. And I just feel like as a comedian, you shouldn't, that stuff you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do anything that's going to rub down the edges, you know? Well, that's a good point. And, and, 
And it seems like, again, this sort of almost conflict humor, like you want to drive them nuts. Like I should have mentioned <laughs> earlier, you- uh, I want to drive them nuts, but I want them to love me for it. At the same yes, time. Yes, Which yes. is going to personally dr- cut you in half every single time. Yes. Because <laughs> if they laugh too much, you're somehow you're not driving them nuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but you also do this podcast with your husband, Rich Voss. He's a great comedian. Uh, you do this podcast, My Wife Hates Me, right. which is basically you- Hating, hating rich, rich. Yeah. and you've been doing it for six years. So clearly, <laughs> yes, you, you haven't. Our either. hate has endured. <laughs> <laughs> Your hate's endured, or or the concept is somehow a little bit off, or yeah. we don't know what, or somehow, I don't know. You haven't hated him enough, and you did, you were, you've been doing that podcast for a really long time. Like before, how did you guys get started on that? Um, well, he, Rich had been wanting me to do a podcast for a long time, and I podca- guess because Mark Marin kind of led the way with comedian yes, podcasts like then, in two thousand nine um, or. Yeah, and then Bobby Kelly started a podcast, and then he started a podcast network, and then he kept telling Rich. And and Rich is taken by salespeople. Like, if somebody's telling him to do something, he will do it. It seems like he's not that kind of person, but he's totally— Like, if you if you if he walked into a showroom, he walks out with a product. You know, he, he loves salespeople. He loves being sold. So when Bobby Kelly was calling him, telling him we had to do a podcast, and he was just insane about it. He wanted to do it so bad, and I didn't want to do it. I was really depressed. Our house had burned down. We were living in this apartment waiting for our house to get built again. And uh, I don't know. I just, I was beaten down by it. And then I just said, I'll do it if we can call it My Wife Hates Me. And then (laughs) him and Bobby Kelly were both like, yeah, that's what it's going to be called. But see, again, it's this kind of almost uh, conflict humor. It seems that's the source of a lot of the funny for you. Right. I like, I, I do like a mean, I like mean comedy. I think because I'm Canadian, maybe. I like arrogance. I like these weird traits in people that I think you weren't supposed to like when I was growing up. Like what? You know? Like arrogance. Like you were never, in my family, you were never supposed to talk highly of yourself. You were always supposed to say, like the book title, like you're better than me. That was, yeah. you know. And, yeah, and Canadians are very... Uh, you know, you don't get too, don't get right. too ahead of yourself, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, I don't know. I think that's why I liked Rich when I met him so much because he... He was really arrogant. I remember him telling me on one of our first dates what an amazing comedian that he was. And I remember thinking, like, is this, is it real? Is he joking? I didn't know for sure. Well, you, you, you on the very last podcast of, and we're, I know we're skipping all around. I kind of want to get at some point to sorry. the development of your career. No, no, this is great. I just, whatever. Uh, but in the last podcast of My Wife Hates Me, you said that also. I don't know. I can never tell when you're joking well, around. Th- I started to realize over the years, like so many things have happened where I, I think he's joking. And then at some point I'm like, oh my God, you're not joking. But maybe like, a joke that's... is like a way to test. Can I? Can this joke become reality with her? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I maybe that's the podcast I talked about where, and this is about salespeople too. So we were in Florida and we went into, um, this is years ago. This might have been before we got married. And I think his name is Waylon, the guy who does all those whale pictures. Oh, I don't know. He does these murals on, you know, walls and stuff. But he also does these whale, uh, you know, you know, paintings that you can buy. So we went into his showroom, I thought, to mock it. You know, because that's what I love to do in my spare time is mock the hard work of others. And, um, you know, because it's not like high end, you know, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty basic stuff. 
This guy's whales. Whale. I mean, I don't know. It's just funny to me. And um, I mean, if you knew anything about art, you wouldn't be going in there right. buying this guy's whale paintings. And uh, but let me just be clear: he's very famous. He's rich. He's you know he does very well. So we go in and. Then we're at some point we're in the back room. We're sitting on a, a, a sofa. They're putting paintings oh, once, up with lights for us to look at. Yeah, once you've done that, you're dead. And then I started to think because Rich was getting really into it, and I was it was making me laugh for most of the day that we were in there. And then when I looked at him on the sofa, I remember thinking, "Oh, I don't think he's joking." <laughs> like I think this whole time, I went in thinking we were making fun of it, and he went in thinking we're going to go get it. A whale painting, and I had—he was about to give his credit card for three whale paintings, and um, I had to take him outside and be like, "We're not doing that." So then, that's like what our whole marriage has been, where I'm like, "Is this?" Oh my god, it's, it's so—it's again so funny when you when you specifically are making fun of him on like Unmasked or any of these shows. That's when it really kind of comes out that you just enjoy it, <laughs> and he enjoys it too. Well, he enjoys the attention. He yeah. yes, but but he also is very complimentary of you. On he'll he'll occasionally back up and say, "No, no, Bonnie's great. Bonnie's great." And then, well, he <laughs> used to be really, really mean to me on the you know when we do these like live shows and stuff. But the Eins didn't like it. They only like it one way. They really only like it if I'm making fun of him. Well, think about like if you're in an audience with a heckler. If the heckler is a drunk guy as opposed to a drunk woman. You have to treat them differently. You right. can't gang up. If you're a male comic in particular, no, you can't no, gang women up. too. I, I've had the same experience where you can't. I can't. I'm in a position of power, I guess, to that drunken woman too, because Diane doesn't like it if I. She has to be really out of control for yeah. the audience to get behind that. And so, so it's interesting. But though, you can say anything to a man. Yeah, because they're well, unless they have a legit complaint against you, right? Which. I unfortunately have had a couple of times, but I'm just starting. So, oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so okay. After your uh, Canada's, I almost said America's, but let's not yeah. get ahead of ourselves yet. Your Canada's uh, funniest new comic. Then you start going on the road, and it feels like this is your kind of. Um, I'm, I'm going to make the comparison: the Beatles in Germany when they were developing. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you're so to, right. I have to make that comparison because you were like dealing with every kind of comic and audience. Like the, you, you mentioned, you know, the insult comics and I don't a know. juggler. I went on the road with. I still know how to juggle. You, you learned how to juggle, yeah. like three things. Yes. Uh, yes. All right. I mean, it was like before cell phones and stuff. You just you read. I would like pretend to sleep in the car because what would happen is you'd get in a car with someone you didn't know and you'd drive hours and hours to a gig and then you'd do one night there and then the next morning you'd pack up your stuff, get back in the car and drive hours and hours to the next gig. So if you didn't like the person you were traveling with, it was really awful and sometimes I didn't and so I would just pretend to sleep all the time. So so do you feel like this was a, like what did you learn? What did you, what do you, What did you discover about comedy during this time that you didn't, Realized before, because um, it's sort of like out of this, you you broke out, came to New York, started doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I did learn a lot about. I mean, I've always been, you know, I always enjoy that sort of like. Even now, I love soaking up new information about comedy. Like, I will sit at the stand and um, you know talk to Mike Vecchione or Dan Soder or whoever about comedy. Just, I still love doing it. I'll do it for hours, you know picking apart why somebody's good or why this person's, um, you know, the audience likes them. 
you know, just like what we were talking about, like, is it likability? You know, is that everything? It's it's so interesting because uh, I saw uh, Mike Vecchione a few weeks ago, and I actually talked about him on an, on another podcast. But I saw him sandwiched between um, Gino Bisconti and Aaron Berg. Yeah, and so two high energy. You yeah, know, insult, in the audience, yeah. yeah, total insult, guys. And he's just like uh, very calm. At one point, he even stopped and he's like looking at the ceiling and he's like, you know, let me just gather my thoughts for a second. Like yeah. he's totally quiet and just such a different style and very funny, very sharp. He's hilarious. Yeah, great writer, very funny guy. But I, I view you as sharp in a similar way, like almost like technically, like when you're doing your jokes, it's very much, you know, you'll have some premise that's going somewhere and then you reverse it. You're very right. great at the reversals. And so when, what's your writing process when you are, are thinking of these things? Um, well, I I try to... I, Is that a dumb question, by the way? No, but I love... The, I, I think there should be a show called The Process. <laughs> and then we just talk about people's process. Because I would... I, I That's my that's favorite thing about any artist is what how do you do it? Um because Rich has a totally different process than I do. I mean, I write everything down. Sometimes hundreds of times before I ever take it to the stage, like trying to get it right, trying to figure it out. Um, sometimes I take it to the stage 10 times, it doesn't work, and then I put it away, and then a year later I'm like, no, it's going to work, and I bring it back. And Well, and the whole concept of it not working, like you said, you're, you've been doing this for so long, but still occasionally... Things, of course, occasionally, don't. all the time. Yeah. I think of it, this is honestly okay. It's like if you're a baker and you have to make like, uh, you know, you make cookies all week. You make just batch after batch after batch after batch of cookies all week. But then only one part of one cookie is good enough to eat. <laughs> like that's really what stand up is. You're just writing jokes, 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 and then it's like, oh, that one part that is is you know salvageable and I'll try to build some jokes around that. So, so now I, I still want to get back to the writing process, but it seems like the psychology is just too brutal to withstand. So <laughs> It's really awful. Because it seems like a lot of comedians that I know have some, I mean, everybody basically has some insecurity in them. Nobody, nobody likes to get up on a stage and be ignored. Right. And But some people are better at being ignored than others. Like you'll watch, some comedians go on stage and, um, the audience doesn't respond very well, and they just do what they set out to do. And then other comedians like myself, I can't not comment on the moment of what's going on. And but that's uh, a skill too, because then you're 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 trying to teach the audience to laugh at you uh, or to laugh with you when you kind of address them. I know, but it's just such a like it's such an open sore of insecurity. I think it's just I feel like maybe it is better not to say anything. Because then the audience really doesn't know. They don't know what, they don't know what, uh, you know, most people go to a comedy show like once a year. You know, they don't know what it's really like when it's great. I know that because I do shows every weekend, you know, but uh, they don't know that it's not great. But but again, like, so, so, so the psychology for you, there's a certain persistence. Like this almost seems like the greatest ability is this persistence to constantly you know, bomb or deal with that silence or deal with, ugh, I just spent all this time working on this joke and it didn't yes, work or I just so drove four hours to get here and nobody likes me and then I'm going to go <laughs> yes. home. And, and you well, have to do it over and over again. Well, sometimes... Um, how do you not be liked over and over again? How do you what? Not oh, how be, do you not be liked over and over again? I, you know, I don't know. It's weird. You get used to it, I guess. Because sometimes um, I think... You know, I do 
a lot because I do gigs where I can drive home after. So I don't particularly go on the road, but I, you know, I will drive up to, I, you know, three, three and a half hours, depending on how much somebody will pay me so that I can drive home that night, you know, uh, you know, relieve the babysitter or whatever. Cause Rich goes on the road Thursday through Sunday, most weeks. So a lot of these, I say I do every, you know, steak and seafood house in the tri-state area. That's my, <laughs> that's my tour. And, uh, you get there and you're like, I don't want, like if you make these people laugh, then you're probably doing something wrong also. Do you know what I mean? It's like you can either no, go I lowest. I totally do not know what you mean on well, that. Well, you can go <laughs> lowest common denominator. Let's say I'm doing, you know, some. A steakhouse. Some, <laughs> some steakhouse deep in Jersey, you know, and they're nice people. I'm not saying that, but you know, they haven't gone too far from their homes to get to you. They don't think you're going to be good. I mean, who would? Who would think the person standing, you know, just um, near the kitchen entrance <laughs> doing stand-up is going to be this great comedian? So, Were you just complimenting yourself there? No, I mean, <laughs> you, you just, I mean, even if I was a great comedian, you wouldn't think that because it's like, who's going to come to this steakhouse and do stand-up? But so you've got all that. And then they really, they most people who outside of a comedy club and, and a lot of people inside of a comedy club, they really want, you know, sexual, uh, not too sexual, but they want it to be, you know. Family-friendly sexual. They want a lot of dick jokes. So they'll just, you could do it all day long and they're fine with it. They're drinking, it's a night out. They're, they don't want any intellectual study. You know, they don't, they're not interested in expanding, you know, their mind in terms of, you know, because like, it's funny, like, a lot of comedians now, they're like, they want to teach people how to behave. <laughs> and it's like, these people would be like, no, I don't think so. And um, so then if you like really kill with this audience, you you can't drive home feeling great about yourself either because you're not, you're not cutting edge as a right, comedian. Right, you're just kind of pandering in that you're sense. You're just pandering, I guess. I do a lot of crowd work. and, and But then if you don't do well, then you got to feel drive home feeling shitty too. But it seems so like, there's like a no win to it. It seems like the most interesting jokes though, and I'm going to throw that WNBA one in here. <laughs> it requires, like if you've been drinking, uh, and if the audience has been drinking, they do need to like think about, oh, this is a smart joke. I have to spend a half a second right. connecting good basketball versus WNBA. Yeah, what's, right, and she's right. a woman. What's what's happening here? <laughs> right. <It's> like, <laughs> they have to piece it together much. inside themselves as opposed to like a dick or fart joke or whatever. It's just right. automatically funny. Right. So, 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 but your jokes are very smart. Like when you go on uh, Colbert or Letterman or Just for Laughs, uh, these are, you know, they're crafted jokes. I mean, I've spent some time with them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what do you do? Like when you're touring to the steakhouses and they, uh, do you pander or do you try to mix it up? Well, now I'm better at it, you know, so I'm... You tell more dick jokes? <laughs> I, t I, I try to get, you know, try to give a little of both. Uh, I have a certain, there's a lot of stuff now that I've acquired over the years that is, you know, sort of works kind of anywhere. So I pull that stuff out a lot. You know, uh, and then and then there's other, you know, it's almost like you're doing different art in different places. So depending yeah. on the crowd, like you kind of figure out, uh, oh, this is an XYZ crowd. And you've identified through all your experiences, there's maybe a hundred different types of crowds. You figure it out yes. real quickly. Okay, there's more women than men. They're older versus younger. They're a little more conservatively dressed. They're drunk. They're not drunk. They didn't like the last guy. 
or a woman. Uh, so this is what I do. This is the playbook. Yeah, and it's not even that intellectualized. It's just like, oh, it's blue collar. I'll do my marriage stuff, you know. I feel like it could be intellectualized though. Like I feel well, it's like a little I get bit like if in Brooklyn, I'm not going to do driving material. Do you know right. what I mean? Like you do have to. Like sometimes you have a, you know, I have a really funny GPS joke I can't do in the city because nobody drives. It's not their experience. So, even if it's funny, and sometimes it irritates me that it irritates me too because I'm like, I know you drove before you got here. I know you know what driving is. I know you understand what a GPS. I know if you saw this on a in a movie, you'd get it. So don't just sit there like, oh, not my experience. Do you say that? Do you challenge them like that? I mean, I definitely have. So, so, but then it embarrasses me because I feel like I'm being so amateur. But, but again, it's not just a stand up where you've you've experienced rejection, and not to say you've been rejected everywhere because you've obviously <laughs> built up this, this massive career. But uh, you know, you've tried pilot after pilot after pilot, like. And I think the dream of a lot of uh, stand-up comics is to eventually have your own sitcom. So what's happened in that space for you? Well, I've never wanted to be an actor, so that's like a weird thing that people have a hard time with too. And yet you've been cast in a bunch of things. I was, yeah. I mean, when I lived in L.A., I, I, I mean, when I first came to comedy even, I was like, I wanted to be a writer. That was my main goal. And then, um, and I did. When I lived in Los Angeles, I wrote a lot of stuff and then, you know, on a lot of TV shows. And then I also was always making short films and, um, you know, these live shows that had, you know, mixed media in them and stuff. And, but, but it's hard. I think it's like anything. It's like, it's that the, when you're on stage being a stand up, people go, oh, she likes being the center of attention. She wants to be on camera, obviously. It's hard to, change people's minds about that. It's like even Rich Voss, my husband, because he so loves being the center of attention and on camera that he doesn't believe me either. He's like, that's I don't believe that's true. And it's like, I just don't. I don't like looking at myself on camera. I don't like that anxiety. I don't like putting on makeup. I don't like all those things that go with it. And I'm really much happier writing. And I don't even, it's like if I, if I, I've written a lot for other people and so even when I write jokes for other people and I see them do it, I get the same feeling. I get a good feeling, almost better because there's no anxiety with it. This is not going to come back on me. And yet to know? know that something is good, it's almost like you have to perform it yourself to really see how to tweak it and twist it to how the audience is reacting. So you get the right rhythm yes. on any joke. It feels like you have to do it. Well, I've written for people who are not comedians that do speaking tours and... Um, I think about that all the time. It's like they're willing to pay me for these untested jokes that I'm pretty sure are good, that I'm pretty sure going to work because I, you know, I mean, I do have like a lot of experience in that. But are they going to work for somebody who's not a real, I mean, the, the answer it's is, hard for real comedians to make this stuff work. No, but I will say having done a lot of public speaking and then also trying to do stand-up, stand-up helps public speaking all the time. Like it makes your public speaking 10 times better. Public speaking does nothing for stand-up. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Like, because when you're doing public speaking, it's like that situation where somebody's already either paying to see you or they know they're going to see you. And then you're supposed to be boring because everyone else who speaks is boring. Right. So if you say anything even mildly funny, right. the audience is amazed. Right. And and so I'm sure uh, I'm just going to start performing with a podium just to like lower should, their expectations like, a little. Yeah. You should say at the beginning this is a talk not <laughs> yes, not I, a bit. Yes. 
So, so okay, so you, 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 but you did get cast in a lot of different things, or at least you attempted. And again, you have to learn, and this is like a standard Hollywood thing, you get rejected all the time. Yeah. And yet it's, again, you have to deal with, like the main skill is dealing with rejection and persisting through it. Well, when I was getting rejected as a actor, I didn't care that much personally, but I felt a lot of pressure on the other people that wanted me to do that or wanted me to, because I succeeded enough times that, you know, sometimes my agent would think that, because I'd say, I don't want to go out on this, you know, I think it's not funny or I didn't want to do it. And they'd always tell me how much money it was going to be or, you know, the, don't you get it? And then I'd go and I wouldn't go to the next level. And then they'd accuse me of throwing it. You know, which I never did. I always tried to do. I mean, my ego is such that I don't want to go in. And would you get disappointed? Same. Not, get, not for them, but like at that point, would you get disappointed for yourself? Um, the stuff that wasn't funny, I honestly didn't care about. But I did feel bad that they that I was somehow holding other people back. You know, from like my agent. I don't know why I cared. What? Well, he's not going to get ten percent now. <laughs> Oh damn it! Um, but they would, you know, I remember, you know, managers and agents would sometimes be kind of mean to me because I think that they thought that I had a lot. I mean, I do have a lot of attitude. I can't stop. I mean, even you know, when I was really young, when I just first started, I just had a ton of attitude, and they thought that it was directed at them. It wasn't. It was just that's just who I was and what I was doing. So I wasn't trying to be an asshole to. To them, and you know what I mean, like. But again, I think they a, would think that I was doing stuff on purpose to not succeed, which but, was not the truth. Maybe a little bit though, because again, part of your whole thing is driving them nuts to. Well, I would say things in auditions that wouldn't help me get the job, but sometimes I said really mean things to the casting director or something, and then I would get the thing. I would get cast. Yeah, because so you're funny. I don't know why <laughs> that was that would happen either, but. I remember being in an audition and just being like so embarrassed to have to say the jokes that were written. And I was like, God, I go, oh, I didn't write this. I just want you to make sure people know I didn't write this. Did you ever try riffing off the, off the script? Yeah, which is, you're not supposed to do that yeah. either. But now that I'm a, a, a writer, I think, I would fucking hate that person that came in and was making, like I didn't realize the writer was probably in the room, you know? They were probably an executive producer or something. And, and I was they, like, I was like making fun of the writing right there in front of them. Yeah, probably. As not I'm good. auditioning, trying to get the job. It's like, you know, I didn't think. I was so, thinking. So after getting thoroughly rejected all over LA, mm-hmm. you moved back to New York. Well, uh, no, well, I actually was doing pretty well as a writer at that point when I met Rich Voss, who um somehow swept me off my feet and um I moved. Uh, I married him and moved to New Jersey, but I kept my apartment for a year and a half. After you married him, mm-hmm. that happened to me on my first wife. I was living in the Chelsea Hotel on Twenty Third Street. Nice. Yeah, it was such a great place to live. I refused. I didn't want to move in with my wife. If I figured, <laughs> why would I give this? I wonder up? why it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, her her dad eventually came to me and said, "You need to move in that's with hilarious. your wife." So that's you got to do it. So I had. <laughs> So about three months after we got married, I moved your in. Father, it took your father-in-law. And he's a big guy. He was Look, a big when guy. A, when a man and a woman love <laughs> each other, they live together. It's just what they do. It's basically what he said. I think living apart would be, I think a lot of marriages would survive a lot longer. That could be. I, th- I feel like you've discussed that on one of your we podcasts. We did because he was going to buy, we live in a condo and he was going to buy a unit near, in the same 
building track, whatever it's called. And uh, I think that's the one where I, I think you kept saying, I can't tell if you're joking or not. I know. Because you were getting I, agitated about it. <laughs> yes. And I, well, because he kept saying he was going to do it. And then I was like, do it. Yeah. Because we were going to buy a house, you know, a bigger house. And um, then he, he, he proposed that he just buy another unit there. And I was like, let's do it. It just seemed great. <laughs> and then I think he got mad that I was on board so quickly. Yeah. And then he like, pulled back. Maybe you got a little, uh, you thought you had plans. Uh, yes. And then I said, is this, is it because you think I'm going to like start having sex with strangers? But then he's the, on that podcast, he was like, I want you to have sex with strangers. Yeah. And that's when I thought that podcast was getting really intense, like almost <laughs> uncomfortably intense. Because well, I was like, what? I know. Because I don't know if he's, I still there's don't There's five know. different ways to like look at that sentence. And you were trying to pick apart each one and he would deflect, you know, he was making fun. It's of like each- talking to a wall. He doesn't give you any answers. Oh, it was because the night before we had the discussion, about it, but I had the charcoal mask on. Oh, right, yeah. I put a charcoal mask on and I forgot, and then I was trying to have a really deep... And you were saying things like, look at my face and I tell go, me look that. at my <laughs> face and tell me you're serious. Look at my face. But he never was like, you have a charcoal mask on. <laughs> it was only later I remembered I had it on. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I want to get to your writing process. So we've, okay. we've got on five tangents, but writing process, I need to know. I want to know what your writing process okay, so is. Okay, so I come up with an idea, something. Like what? Like, um, what's a joke I'm working on? Um, well, like, okay, so I'm working on this joke. I've done it a few times. It hasn't worked yet exactly as I want it to, but uh, about how if your therapist was a Syrian refugee. You know, like how awful would that be? So just the premise is funny, right? It's the premise of like how we complain about things constantly. Uh, that, that premise is, is genius. So just for you saying the premise is funny. <laughs> okay, so I just don't, don't have to do it. don't need to punch like, but then, but then I guess it's just you could just keep on coming up with. That, that's, that premise is almost like the gift that could keep giving. <laughs> then you just keep doing it throughout your set. You're like, I'm back on gluten. <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad. Um yeah, so I so so it seems like great. So a lot of people have premises that are just like, oh, subways are weird or whatever. Right. And it's the premise itself is not funny. Then they figure out a way to make it funny. Right. But I think it works. What you're saying is sometimes it's better to start off with a premise that automatically is funny. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't really know how to write. Like, uh, if someone said, "Like, can you write five jokes about the subway?" I don't know if I would be able to do that. I'd have to have some kind of. I mean, I actually would be able to, but not for my own act. You know what I mean? Like for someone else would be fine. So okay, I give my le- I give my lesser stuff to other people. So 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 yeah. So like with that Syrian refugee therapist premise, you don't even need to tell me what the rest of the process is because you could just keep coming up with new stuff each day. On well, that. then I re. Well, the problem is I don't have a setup for it. I don't know how to set it up. I don't know how. What to- do you mean? Well, I've tried different setups for it. Like, what about just saying I went to my therapist today? Yeah, he's a Syrian refugee. I should t- I should mention he's a Syrian refugee. Well, because it's not true, and not that I have like I'm not married to the truth or anything, but I do kind of like for them to know what parts are true and what parts aren't. And uh, yeah, because it seems like in a lot of your acts, you, the the jokes are not true. They're not true, with- but I'm a, I'm a I'm an unreliable narrator. But I want them to like when the stuff is true, I kind of want them to know that it's. I mean, like what's not true. About my act, I mean, it's well, okay. the, fir- one, the setups are true. One of your jokes, you say the punchline is you're a racist, and you're it's clear you're not right. So, okay, so right, 
Um, well, we all are a little bit, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> Which we're, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, no, I uh, uh, like I don't eat veal. Like I have a joke about eating. Oh yeah, veal. yeah. Well, what's the joke? I remember that, I'm that a, one. I'm a oh, vegan, you're a vegetarian, but yeah. I cheat. I eat veal. Yeah. So I that that joke's really not true in a lot of ways because I'm not a hundred percent vegan. But that's like a, a classic. Almost one-liner <laughs> reversal, but that's one of those and, and, jokes where uh, I can take it anywhere. Yeah, that's one of those jokes where you can just do nowhere. The, there's also a persona in the writing process, right? So you have this persona in some of your stand-ups where you're essentially subtracting intelligence from yourself. Yeah, so like in that joke or the racist joke yeah. or or a lot or the WNBA right. joke. Right. So it seems like then if you stick to the persona, it doesn't matter about the truth as much. Right. Right. So if you're doing like one of those. Persona-driven right. jokes, you can do the therapist joke. But then the therapist. But then, if I wasn't going to tell the truth, I would have to have that be the punchline. the The Syrian therapist, Syrian refugee therapist, would have to be the punchline. So, you, so you still need the setup. You still need to earn a setup. You, oh, so you can't say. I mean, I tried the setup. Where I'm just trying to learn. Like you can't. You can't say. Um, oh, my therapist. Is, do you ever have a therapist who was a Syrian refugee? And I don't know. Then you did your glu- you just did the gluten thing, and that was funny. Yeah, I guess. But I still feel like I'm just doing a punchline and then tags. I'm not doing a setup punchline and tags. I don't know. It's so dumb to even like break it down. No, no, I like breaking it down because <laughs> because what it's interesting because what makes a lot of your stuff really funny is the reversals are so smart, and that's what you're really saying here. Is I think that, I figured out the setup. Okay, let's say, go for it. Which is that um, I hate my therapist. Uh, I, have a ther- I have a new therapist. I hate him because he just thinks my, my, uh, all my problems are so lame. <laughs> He's a Syrian refugee. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you can even go into some of that. Would you go into some of that? And then I would say, like, I'm back on gluten. I don't know what to do with my spare room. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's great. Yeah. So what's another premise? My daughter's bus came three minutes early. Um, uh, that I'm working on? Yeah. Um, my God, I have so many new jokes. I feel like I've got a backlog. That's the problem is that it's... Do you write every day? Yes, I write. Do you not feel like necessarily you... jokes every day, but I write every single day. About what if you're not writing... Well, I'm working on a new novel, and I have a new novel. I might not be aware. Did you write another novel? No, I mean, a, I mean, I wrote a book, a biography, um, but now I'm working on something else, <clears throat> just for fun, just uh-huh. for me. Who knows what happened? I'm not making any promises. Um, that it, I, I like to tell myself I don't have to finish anything, because then that seems free. Yeah, keep saying lo- yeah. expectations low on yourself. I mean, I wish I didn't have to make money, because then I. Then I could just do whatever. Then I could just make and... What would you do? Then just write and make little... I mean, I just made a short film. I'm still in the editing process. But I had to get money to do it. And that was like irritating to like get other people... You know, I had to get another company involved um, to pay for it. Well, I think I think being a comedian... Seem, and, I, and this is really true for almost any art, I would say. You have to also have a business side of you. Yes. Like you look at the most successful comedians out there they might not necessarily be the fun the funniest but they really have a sense of oh no they're not the funniest mm-hmm. at all and in fact that's a much a much better marker of if you're going to do well in this business is if you're good at talking to suits speaking that language being business minded understanding that it's a job you know and i think that's true for everything let's even say you know 
I mean, you always have to be in, have an understanding of how to sell your ideas right. to other people who might not be aware of you or are aware of right. you. So let's say you're an inventor. You know, you still have to be right. savvy and social. Or you have to have somebody that. Yeah, or somebody. Does but it you have for to convince you. them too. So right. there's always some element that you have to be able to, to communicate. And I think a lot of people think, oh, no, I just need this one skill. And that will, people will recognize me for, for what I'm worth and propel my career. But like you've seen in your own career, you've done stand up, you've done writing, you've done TV stuff, you've written for others, uh, you do this podcast, uh, you did the documentary, Women Aren't Funny. You have to do lots of things and figure out each. Well, you know, that part I like. I like having all different kinds of things going, all the plates spinning at once. I just don't, I hate doing meetings. I don't like phone calls, emails I'm not great at. And um, so I that I do think that hinders me. I think the only reason that I finished the documentary and that it became uh, you know, a documentary that was on Netflix and iTunes and stuff is because of Rich. So, so Because he picked up the ball on that for me because I was just like I got tired of I mean at one point near the end when uh, I was editing because the the thing about a documentary is that you spend so much time in the edit which I really like editing but it became overwhelming at some point just going through 80 hours of footage you know and um, at one point when we were almost done editing Rich was like we got Joan Rivers so she had agreed to be in the movie and I said no I was like uh not doing it. <laughs> he was like, are you insane? Like when Joan Rivers wants to do your movie, you put her in your movie. But I I was like, now I have to go back and figure out how I'm going to add her in and I've already, you know. But but again, like, so so you're doing kind of the creative part there. Rich must have been the one going out and saying we've got, you know, trying to get. Yes, he's good at that. He's good at, you know, um, even we, we did this roast this summer um, which we had a company film it and, uh, you know, so, you know, I worked on the one side of things and then, but Rich got all the people and, you know, he was the one who, who cast the roast for lack of a better word, but it was all his friends and stuff. And so, so it seems like in, in, then, in, you know, despite the title of your, your podcast, like it's a very much a one plus one equals three kind of relationship in, in, in many respects, like, uh, you're both comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, you're both able to help each other, I guess, riff on material or keep yourselves sharp. Well, we always talk about that. You know, famous comedians get unfunny so quickly once they get famous, and it's because they have people around them that are telling them all the time how great they are. And I, you know, Rich and I always talk about how we'll never have that. You know, we always have the other person to be like. But that right there is a funny joke. (laughs) That's awful. But we do. We like, you know, I don't know. I I guess I don't know. Other people would think we're mean to each other, but it works for us. I think. I think again on these. I think almost the best stuff is like the the interviews where you guys are just (laughs) hitting at each other so hard. I can't stop laughing on on some of these things. Right. So so. There's one. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think so for some people too, because their marriage would never withstand any of that. Like, I think some guys, like Rich has said mean things to me where women will write in and get very mad at him. And some men too will be like, but I think some people appreciate it because I'm laughing and, you know, it doesn't bother me because uh, they know they could never say that in their relationship. But you that, know? that could also be why on some of these things, because likability is so important and it's harder, I think, to insult 
a woman than to insult yes. a man, he backs off more frequently than you do. Yes. He'll always say, no, 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 Bonnie's brilliant. Right, right, you know, he right, kinda, right. We'll do that every three or four minutes just right. to kind of uh, temper <laughs> yes, it a little. Yes, yes. So... But it's we've smart. spoken about that too. I mean, that's not just, you know, even, you know, recently Rich was saying that he said something to some woman in the audience and people got mad. And I was like, we've had this conversation a thousand times. You can't say those things to women. And in a way, Rich is almost, you know, he's he's too into equality. You know, he treats everybody the same way, you know, and then it gets him into trouble. But he's he he has a, also kind of this innocent in a weird way, this innocent way about him. like he's, It's like he's saying stuff. He doesn't know what he's saying sometimes. It's <laughs> in the expression on his face. So but I think that's part of his skill. Right. Clearly he knows what he's saying all the well, time. Well, no, I don't think he does. I mean, he, that, that's a, the thing. About, be, sometimes he really, really does know what he's saying. And then other times he's he, like, he's got blind spots. Like one time this woman came up to us um, after a show and he was selling his CDs or DVDs or whatever it was. And, and uh, she was a fan. She was, you know, and... Uh, she was talking away to him and he goes, you know who you look like? And I was worried because she wasn't a particularly attractive woman. And he goes, and I was like, oh no. And he said, uh, you know, uh, Tony Soprano's sister Uh-oh. and uh, she, her face, you know, this was back when the show was still on the air probably. And her face just fell. She did not want to be that. And he goes, no, he, <laughs> he looked over at me, he saw my face and he goes, to her, no, 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 just, just your face. <laughs> So that's how we saved it. And I was like, ah. Oh. It's an amazing way to save it too because it's not necessarily a compliment either. <laughs> I know. It's, none of it was working. But it was like, you know, he doesn't know. I don't know why. He just like, there's certain blind spots that he has. Where he- so in part you met, um, I mean, there's a story where you met at the Comedy Cellar. You were performing, I guess, right after him. But you were both, previous to that, you were on, he was on the first season of Last Comic Standing. You were on the second season yes. of Last Comic Standing. He convinced me to do the second season. I mean, we would pretend oh, that, that we met on Last Comic Standing, but that's not true. We'd already, we were already in the throes of a romance. So you, so you had seen him though on Last Comic Standing, and you didn't like him. No, I didn't like him. That's true. I thought he was an asshole, but he did grow on me as the seasons went, or as the the season went on, because this is the, and this is his appeal, I think. For everybody, no one likes him when they first meet him, which is, um, you know, I made a short film about all his friends telling the first time they met Rich and there are all these horrible stories. That's a great idea for a short film. Why'd you do that? Um, well, I, the joke is for his funeral, but he hasn't died <laughs> yet. But um, <laughs> the guy will not die. Um, no, but then I played it at his roast. So that was that was a fun thing. So um, anyway, uh, he you don't like him, but then he won't change. You know, he there's something that people respect about somebody who's got a consistency of character. He's not being um, underhanded at all. That's not why you don't like him in the beginning. You don't like him because he's an asshole, but then you realize, like, oh, that's just who he is. He just really is genuinely that guy. And then you start to like him because you know how he's going to respond to things. He doesn't surprise you. You know what I mean? So... Because I think the truth is with Rich, it's like even if he was performing for the Queen of England, he would still, there's no way he could be somebody other than he, he'd still totally be Rich Voss, you know, in that situation. And I think the key with, with both of you guys is that you're both extremely quick. So a lot of comics, a lot of comedians, I think, focus, almost over-focus on the writing. So their comedy is entirely in the bit that they're doing. Right. Whereas you guys are just, just 
it's almost like you must practice all day long. Like <laughs> what we you do. must like drive home thinking of like I'm gonna insult him this way if he says, and then if he says this, I gotta say this. It's it's like like it's a chess game. It's just constant. I mean, we, we've been having dinner in our hometown um, in New Jersey before. Like we, I remember one time we were sitting on the patio, and. We're just doing. It was probably sounded exactly like we what we do on the podcast. We're having some, and I was like, you know, busting his balls a little bit. And um, these people came up and they go, "Oh my god, it's ex- it's really real. <laughs> you guys are exactly what you what you think because they you know listen to our podcast or something." But it's just funny. People do that to us all the time. They're like, "Oh, it is real. It is that." And and you know, podcast. I love podcasts like that because. Uh, and I think more people should do podcasts like that, where it's uh, like an interesting format. It's not like you're interviewing each other. No, you know, there's there's two hundred thousand interview podcasts. I'm guilty of being one of them, but <laughs> it's just a fascinating to play with the format. You're not a radio show. You don't have to interview each other. You could just go at it and have fun. It's literally just an hour. We just sit at our kitchen table and. But but I really thought. That last one, it makes me think about relationships. Like, I feel like, oh, I've been in that situation and I've been really anxious. What does the other person mean? And they try to explain in five different ways, and each way feels false to me. Yes. (laughs) And it might not be false, or it might be true. I don't understand. And you just get that anxiety, uh, that relationship anxiety. Like, what's going on here? What's being communicated to me? And, And it seems like, that what's more what's fascinating about your podcast is that dynamic is really real. You're not you're not lecturing on relationships. No. You're having like a dynamic is happening right in front of us while we're listening. Yeah. And it's it's you know, again, like I think you mentioned how um his first wife feels like she's listening in. She she yes, wants she yes. feel, she feels like she's listening in on like this intimate argument. And that's what it really does feel like. It's right. it's painful some <laughs> listening to it. It's so embarrassing sometimes. It's and it's it's painful in ways that when you're joking with each other in public isn't. That's like okay, they're joking around and it's sometimes it's like borderline mean, but it's funny. Right. This time you're dealing with shit in the podcast. Right. We're really talking about stuff. Well, I like those podcasts best when cuz you know, even that incident that you're talking about where I was trying to get at like what's real, what's not real and he'll just be like all right, let me talk, let me talk about uh, where I was last weekend. You know, he wanted like do something totally boring. You know, he wanted to take the podcast, and it, it drives me nuts. It's like well, well, we were just talking about something that people might actually find interesting. And he does that in the interviews you guys have. Is that they'll change the subject like really quickly, and you'll <laughs> yeah. have to like wait a second. You have to bring it back, and that's funny too. That dynamic. Yeah. Um. So there, there's one story. I I, I don't mean to be. Talking more about rich than than you. This is but, the, this is a, this is how it goes. This is how it works. No, but I but I, I think I think it's interesting the dynamic because people probably wonder all the time what's it like to uh, go out or marry someone who's essentially in the same business and you guys could help each other. And I think there's both complications and and really great things that can happen out of it. Like you could help each other doing these documentaries. Um, and how do you write? There must be also some competitive aspects. Well, I do see some competitive aspects, uh, but I honestly feel like not from me. <laughs> like not to be mean, but I want. Who, who I think upset? I think when you're a woman and you want your husband to do well, there's still that thing where it's like 
you have pride in how well your husband's doing. You know, my neighbors, they think Rich is really famous. They don't think I'm famous at all. They don't, you know, up until just a couple of years ago, they didn't even realize it was a comedian because I go by Bonnie Voss where I live. So I'm I'm sure they didn't even realize. And um, Even though you're the world famous author of You're Better Than Me? <laughs> well, it's funny because when I wrote that book, they I told them I was writing a book and they were like very suspicious about it. And then when I really did write it, they were like, you really did it. You really wrote a book. <laughs> they didn't believe it. Um, but it's I, I still like when I'm talking about Rich, like he worked on this big movie all summer. I love that, you know, oh, he's doing so well. Cause I think there's still something in it as just society goes that a woman is supposed to like prop up her husband and it feels right and it feels good, you know. Well, um, but the other way around still sort of is a little tricky. And they say the I, uh, they say the key. They've done all these studies on, uh, I guess, academics watching different relationships in different situations. Mm-hmm. And you would think that the relationships that stick together are the ones that where both sides help each other through bad times. And it turns out the real secret is when they're both sides are positive during good times. Oh. And so they're each a supporter of the other's successes. Right. That's right. that's the real test of a right. relationship. Right. And uh so hopefully he's supportive of your I'm sure he's he is. very supportive, but he still want he still feels like he's supposed to be doing better. So there is some anxiety like attached suddenly, to me doing well. Like if you suddenly had like a movie cast where you're the star and But that wouldn't happen because I don't want to. <laughs> you know, but he because I that's not that's not the the thing I'm trying to do. The the problem comes in is that like a little while ago I got a deal with IFC to write a t- TV series and um Were you able to pick the idea or did they throw the idea? No, at you? I pitched it to them mm-hmm. and then they said yes and then we made the deal. And the the idea was based on living in this, uh, you know, New Jersey suburbs. And um, great know, idea. Rich really wanted is it's a very funny show. So Rich, I grew up in the New Jersey suburbs. So so you get yeah with the characters. I I based almost all the characters on the real people that I live near. And um, anyway, uh, Rich really wanted it to be him and I in the show because he wants to be on TV. You know, that's something that he really wants. And I didn't want to be in the show. But it's like, they're not going to have Rich be, play Rich if I'm not going to play Bonnie, you know? So that became like a weird thing where, he, you know, he was angry because he thought this was our opportunity to, you know, have our own TV show. And I guess it was. I mean, they weren't against it at all. And I, you know... And you were still going to be the writer slash showrunner or whatever. Right, so yes. So you both be on the set every day. Yes, but he knew he wouldn't get cast as rich if I didn't get uh, cast as, if I didn't put myself as Bonnie. What if you insisted as showrunner he get cast as rich? They, they wouldn't have picked it up, I'm sure. <laughs> well, okay, so what happened? So you pitched an idea. You got a meeting with IFC. Yes. You pitched an idea. They said, love it. What happened next? So then I wrote the the pilot. Um, and uh, the ultimately the end of the story is that they didn't pick it up. Which happens how many times? Like what percentage of times does that happen? A hundred percent of the time <laughs> for me. <laughs> no, I don't well, know. What I do mean, you think was the downfall of it? Well, I mean, they liked it and we were moving ahead with it and then um, they said it didn't fit their mandate. So I, who knows what the real answer is. Yeah, what does is. that mean? I don't know. But um but the, but the thing is is that that's that's where Rich and I get into some issues because 
you know, there's been times where they want Rich and Bonnie to do something, and I don't want to do it. And then Rich will get mad because it's Rich, you know, they want both of us to do something. So, so again, I want to, um, I'm still fascinated by your writing process and the idea of a premise, the premise itself being super funny. Okay. And I don't, I don't mean to, to beat on this, but how do you work on the premises? Well, the premises just come. The premises are just there just like you all sit the down. time. So I have, I mean, I could whip out my notebook. I have hundreds. I can show on my phone. I just write them anywhere now. I used to try to write everything into one notebook, but now I just, any paper, notebook, my phone, computer, whatever happens to be in front of me, I put it in there. So kind of a key is, um, like, and I, I always sort of do my own writing at a certain time of the day, but you're just like, anytime something pops in the head, you'll at least jot it down as a note. Yes. Yeah, I try to do it when it's happening. I mean, unless I'm driving, you know. But um, although that joke is very funny as well, <laughs> the, the texting and driving. driving. Yeah, you got to get good. And at he's it. got, and it's the reversal again. Yes. So, which I think is really hard. You, you know, you. So if I can, uh, not See, but this, this is the this joke actually is exactly what my whole thing really is. Is I have an earnest setup. I get the audience behind me. I'm saying the right thing. So I'm saying. Texting and driving, you know, I hate when I hear people say I only do it once in a while. You know, that's that's how you get killed. You know, to be good at something, you have to practice. So then we start to realize then yes. that it's, things are going to go dark, right? So <laughs> then they, you know, but that joke sometimes they don't like it because they know that texting and driving is so bad. So right, why so, are you saying it? So, you shouldn't so, be doing it. But uh, I will just say it's objectively funny, and then they can just do what they want with it, right? So so it's it's funny because. It's just got that reversal thing almost automatically makes something like right. that funny. It's it's high stakes because people get killed. Right. And then you subtract your intelligence from from the the punchline and then deliver right. the reversal. Right. So I think but that I also think like because a lot of it's like sometimes I'll get and this is a fascinating thing to me too. So I have the earnest setup and then the reversal, let's say, on a lot of jokes. And sometimes and the get, earnest setup is is earnest because it's high stakes. People are getting killed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I never thought about how high stakes that was. And I don't care about people getting killed. <laughs> um, but um, but the high stakes jokes are the best because I like I like jokes too that where the audience is really scared for you that you're entering into a zone that they don't want you to enter into. Like what? Like um, like if you start to talk about race. Uh, for instance, they get right. They don't know where it's going to go. Right, and it's, how it's, and, the tension goes high and they on certain they, things. I wonder if they care for you. So, in the sense that uh, she's about to go, she's funny, and I hope the rest of the audience likes her. Right, or 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 there's a there'll be things where they think that's the joke, and they oh that didn't work. Uh oh, you know, and then that's the the tension is high, and then you can undercut the tension and get you know th- those laughs are the biggest laughs. So so wait, what's what's an example? Um, so these are super high stakes where you're playing with the the audience. The audience is part of the joke, right? In some sense, right? Like in an abstract way, right? Well, um, I can't think of one off the top of my head now. Well, I have I have tons of them, but I can't I'm tonight. When I, it's the minute I leave here, I'll text you a hundred of them. <laughs> All right, that's good because then I'll I'll throw it <laughs> into the leave. into the thing. What's a what's another type of premise? I'm gonna steal all of this when I start writing uh, jokes. Um, well, then, okay. So my favorite is the earnest premise, uh, the earnest setup, where you're really saying something socially 
you've heard before, people know it's right, you know. Um, like I have like the earnest setup of like, don't give money to homeless people. I know it sounds harsh, but you're not supposed to. Oh yeah, you know funny. because uh, you know what they're just going to spend the money on a home. <laughs> Last thing we need are more high risk buyers in the market the, right now. But those are high. Those are those are just earnest setups that I like, especially but, but, but if they I have like, a social I, content. But I like also there's two punchlines in that. Yeah. So because the home, yeah, is obviously a, a, not what everybody thought. Right. Not what everybody people will says. yell out drugs. People will yell. It's like it's not a test. Right. And but then there's the next part of it. Which is almost a little sharper. Uh, not almost, but it is sharper. You have to think about it. Like, oh, we're, you're evaluating this now almost as economically. Yes, <laughs> yes. More. On a homeless person buying. <laughs> yes, we. Yes, I mean that joke. I haven't done it in a long time, but that joke worked better. You know, obviously, a few years ago when we were still struggling. <laughs> so, uh, so Rich, Rich has this funny story in the book, uh, "Killing It." You've probably seen his his joke. Um, he's at Stand Up New York. And it's right after the season that he was on Last Comic Stand. Oh yes, over. I know the story. And um, he uh, he's on for however long he's on, and the red light goes on, and he's he's starts yelling, "Are you kidding me? Like I'm not getting off just because the red light. I'm the I'm the most famous comedian in here." Yeah. And then he gets off the stage, and the MC comes on, and ladies and gentlemen, your next guest, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yes, Jerry had stopped in to right. do it. And Rich didn't know because Rich had stopped in on a I think it was a bringer show night. It wasn't a big night. So then when they gave him the light, he was like, "Hey, you know, I just was on NBC." He started listing his credits and. Um, so when Jerry went on stage, Jerry goes, "I've also been on NBC." <laughs> and 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 I wanna I wanna get back to that uh, that story in a second. But do you guys ever do your podcast live? Yes, we do. And when we do them live, we have a, a celebrity marriage counselor. So we've had Artie Lang, uh, Ron Bennington's been our uh, Jim Norton. Who else? Oh, Jim Norton would be great. Andy Kindler. Everybody's been so funny who's been our celebrity marriage counselors. They're, so when was the last time you did a live uh, podcast? It's been a while. Yeah, maybe a year ago. Okay, so let me let me make you a deal. Okay. So uh, so I own a piece of stand-up New York. I've never actually said this on my podcast oh, or wow. writing or anything before. But um, do a live podcast from like 7 to 8 or however okay. long it takes. And then it's your show after that from 8 to 9.30. You guys get the door, bring in whoever you want, or Rich could do 30 minutes, you could do 30 minutes, whatever you want to do. We'll get the bar and you get the door, and that's the deal. No, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really insulted there. I like that, uh, that insult humor. See, I can't stop myself. <laughs> I was going to do it earlier, then I was like, no, let him finish. <laughs> let him get wait, it well, Wait, what, where would have been a good stop to do it earlier? I don't know. I can't remember. All right. It's instinct. No, so I uh, I would love to do that. That was that sounds amazing. Okay. So good. are you going to be our celebrity marriage counselor? I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, yes. that'll be fun. Okay, you come to be I've, our celebrity marriage I've listened marriage. to all of your interviews with each other and <laughs> oh a bunch of the God. podcasts. So, so you so could do it, right? And you know, um, I don't know if you know, I grew up with Jim Norton. So we were in the no, same, we were in the same grade. We grew up together the wow. whole time. Wow. Yeah. Oh my so, God. So I'll just have to call him and see what's... I'll have to listen to his version, you know, yes. him Did, being the marriage counselor. Well, Jim was at our wedding. He, oh, I didn't know we, that. we, um, we got married in Alberta, Canada, and um, Jim flew in to be the best man, and he gave the funniest speech. It was, I mean, 
it was this killer. It was like, <laughs> I don't know, you could put that on TV. Oh yeah, I've, I've heard you talk about this and then you were talking and Rich grabbed the <laughs> And then I was like, yeah, because I, I, I took a napkin you. and I didn't realize it was that my, my, uh, <laughs> my competitive nature kicked in. I started making notes on a napkin because I knew we were going to have to go up after gym and I was doing pretty well. So, up like, there. what was the What were you writing on the napkin? Like, just some jokes that I thought would be funny. Because Jim was making fun of the audience. He goes, "If this uh, was a movie, it'd be called White People with Glasses." And you know, it was just, it was just funny. Um, he said one of the lines I remember was, uh, "He said, Rich is the opposite of everyone in Hollywood. Um, he's." Uh, mean to your face and nice behind your back, which is true. That is a very rich thing. Um, so I, I can't remember what I was doing, but it was my family and, you know, for the most part. And so I was trying to be as funny as these guys. And I was about to, I did a my big earnest setup and Rich grabbed the mic from me. I couldn't do the punchline. And, um, do you remember what the setup was? I don't remember now at all what the thing, but I knew that I had something good coming. So that's why I probably got so angry about it. And then he started killing. He just took the microphone from me and started killing. And then when we went to do our dance, I, <laughs> our first dance, I was, how dare you? How could you? I was about to do a punchline and you took it away from me. Well... <laughs> Do you have so the video of that? The, you should you should have the video. You should post the video of that. Uh, I don't think we did a video. Oh my god, that would be great to have. Because how many comedians were doing roasts or whatever? There was Jim. There was you. There was Rich. Were there other people? No, I mean it was. Uh, I mean it was all. You know, no one came from. Then we had a party at um, the in in New York, and then we had a party in L.A. Because I was still you know L.A. based. Um. So all my friends were you guys came long in L.A. Distance? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we started touring together. That's how he got me. Ah. So, like, really <laughs> got me away from other people as the cult. That's how cult leaders work. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I can handle a long distance relationship, particularly like you're on stage, he's on stage. Like, how did you guys survive the jealousies of that? Um, being on stage? Uh, no, a long distance where you're both kind well, of. Well, in the performing. beginning, we weren't really. Um, like we just hooked up when we'd see each other or something. You know, it wasn't like this. Wasn't serious. Yeah, I mean, we. I, I'm sure he had other girlfriends. I, I still was, you know, doing what I did, and uh, you know, it really wasn't until we kind of got engaged that we were like that we're doing this. This is it. And then even now, when he's on the road from Thursday through Sunday, do you ever get? I like, don't worry at all. I mean. I feel sorry for girls if he is fucking them. <laughs> I feel sorry for those girls. Um, no, I I don't know why. I just don't. I don't worry about it. I I've seen him flirt with girls on very limited occasions, and it makes me happy. I want <laughs> you know I want him to still have that thing. You know, uh, have girls like him and be charming. Um, but I don't. I mean, I just don't think he would. And if he does, I what can I do about it? So I told him one time I don't want to hear about it. Uh, it's a, it's a one and done. I don't want to hear about it. I feel like I feel like I wouldn't be able to handle that. So I feel like I have control issues on that. You're the jealousy part, probably. Yeah. Well, he's he worries about me, huh. even though I've never done anything, never done anything wrong ever. Yeah, and you, uh, even on that one podcast episode where it got so intense, it's like so clear. You think he's 
one of the things you're thinking is that he's trying to suggest he should be doing yes. things. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, I was like, where? But you're using a reverse way yes. of suggesting it. Um, I know this this was all over the place, this podcast, but that's that's how all my podcasts are. So I just want to see um, which note I might have forgotten. Probably all of them. Probably. Do you edit this? Nah. No, we don't either. I don't believe in it. No, and I've had we've had everything bad happen in podcasts, and I don't like to edit. Um, One time, I got a phone call that I had to take, and Rich wouldn't turn off the. Uh, <laughs> he wouldn't. I don't know. He doesn't know how to pause the podcast. I guess he's scared he'll lose it. So you can hear him yelling at me as I took the phone call in another room, and you can hear him yelling like through the door. I. <laughs> I'm like leaning against the door and he's pounding on the door. See, I think that's funny in a podcast. Oh Podcasts are not supposed to be like, this is the wild west of yes, media. Yes, it is very wild west. Um, so I have notes like, what's it like opening for your boyfriend, husband? But I don't like that. We didn't get into the women aren't funny, but... It's people, still available on iTunes. Yeah, it's not so on Netflix anymore, to, but yeah, you should I definitely. encourage people to get it. I encourage people to listen to your podcast. I encourage people to listen to all of your stand-up because I, I find it educational. Someone in year one of my oh, path yes. into this, and I, I go up now three, four times a week wow, just trying to learn. that's great. Well, you know, it is, it is a great time if you are really serious about being a comedian because you can, you can just... I used to have to go into a comedy club and sit downstairs and just... I would, you know, when I first got to New York, I would just be at the cellar every night watching comedian after comedian after comedian. And now you can just go online and watch everybody and see what people are doing. And, you know, you can really have comedy school all the time if you want. It's so true because I'll, I'll think, um, well, which, which persona am I playing with today that I'm trying to tweak and learn? Mm -hmm. And then I'll find the comedians that fit that right. and just watch YouTube video after right. YouTube video just, just to learn. And they're, they're, that's why I think being analytical with this for me, is a little bit of a way to avoid or to at least try to avoid some of the 10,000 hours, the, the 20 yes, years you have right. to go through. Oh, my God. So, um, I know, and it is, I mean, you have to be funny. You know, you have to be a funny person. You have to, you know, get up there. And I mean, I know a lot of comedians that aren't funny off stage and they're really funny on stage. So it doesn't have to be you have to be funny all the time, but you have to have some innate humor in you. But there is a lot of things that I feel like, you know, over the years... I mean, I've always loved comedy, so I've, and I've always been a student of it. So I liked that part of it, like picking apart a joke, why that joke works, why that joke works for that person, why, oh. you know, that how does that person start? How does that person build their set? But now you can do it where you can, you know, you just have to remember people's jokes, you know, and think about how that setup worked and how the payoff worked. But now you can just go online and, you know, you, you, watch you, it over and over and over and over and really like, understand it you, you would probably appreciate it. i did one podcast with uh gary goldman yes where um for 90 minutes we just picked apart his abbreviated state right joke. yes and it was just so brilliant i listened to, to that yeah That's it's so just funny. it's, 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 it's just uh so fascinating to, to hear him go through it but uh i want to plug your memoir one more time you're better than me a memoir yes you could still buy that it's which is a lie right in the title because it's definitely not true <laughs> And people should just watch you all over. Anything else? Oh, the my wife hates me. People should listen to that podcast. Available people should tune into Riotcast. that podcast rather than listen to this podcast. Even I'm no, gonna recommend stop. your podcast <laughs> over this one. And 
I'm holding you to that deal. So we're in October, we'll figure it out. Okay, let's do so that. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for coming on. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed this podcast on iTunes. I'm going to give like a little humble. It's actually, it's not even a humble brag. It's like an ego brag. Tim at Aggrad, A-G-G-R-A-D said, this is my favorite podcast by far. Seriously, not hyperbole. James is a genius. He researches guests extensively and always seems to deliver the perfect question at the perfect time. He has a very high standard for guests. Every episode makes me think. Highly recommend. Tim, that was a really great review. Thank you. I'm going to try, hopefully, to keep the same standard of questions, and we'll see. But I really enjoy reading these. So, Tim, it means a lot to me, and I'm grateful for your support. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.